Hello and welcome everyone to the Cane and Rinse podcast. This is volume 12, issue 582 on Mist. Uh, joining me, I am James Carter. In this illustrious episode are Chris Worthington. Bring me blue pages. <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> uh, Jesse Fuchs. Hello. And John Salmon. Hello. Uh, so, it's worth saying, we're talking about Mist. Um, it's obviously worth me saying there can be spoilers, there will be spoilers for what that story is. There may be spoilers about some of the puzzles, which are probably more the thing you're going to want to avoid. Uh, it's not a massively long game, especially not if you're playing with a guide again. We'll get into all of that, but from here on forth, I think pretty much straight off the bat, spoilers are, are on the table. So, um, so yeah. Bear that in mind, go away, play, come back, or otherwise, if you're happy to, sit back and enjoy the uh, the discussion. Uh, in terms of uh, Myst, I think it's probably a game that a lot of people have heard of, but certainly in my case, I have learned by playing and getting ready for this uh, recording, I've learned a massive amount about what, what this game is, so it's going to be really fun to dive into and share. To set the table, um, the genre for Mist as a game is roughly a graphic adventure taken from Wikipedia, and the way that I ended up thinking of it was loosely a bridge between the old text-based adventure games of the 1980s, the sort of point-and-click adventure games of the 1990s, and then in the mid-90s the graphic sound and presentation of that early kind of CD-ROM era, uh, early PlayStation era, that sort of stuff. If I had to sum it up in a sentence, Encarta meets Choose Your Own Adventure, or for anyone from Britain who's my sort of age, the TV show Nightmare um, is a fairly good uh, approximation of what Mist's aiming for in terms of tone and style. Um, so before we get into our specific histories, I think it's worthwhile us talking through the history of what is quite a complex game, not series, just this game in terms of different versions, where it came from. So. It's developed by, and the company you will hear uh, in relation to Mist all the time is Cyan. What was Cyan Inc. is now Cyan Worlds, but Cyan is is more or less the the bullet point there. Um, back in the early nineties, two brothers, uh, Robin and Rand Miller, um, were just getting into the world of work and were trying also on the side to develop video games. They'd made some kids games and they started to try and pitch no, we want to make something more mature, something slower paced, more adult. Uh, and and we're getting some pushback on that. They ended up partnering with a publisher called Broderbund uh, to produce a game for the Mac OS called Myst. Um, it has had various other versions. It's one of those that, after release, started getting ported to everything. And so uh, Cyan developed most of the the main versions of this game but a lot of the ports were as they often are handed out to other studios so we've got sunsoft who did the sega saturn version uh we've got alpha system that did the playstation version micro cabin did 3do yep it went on 3do as well um hoplite research who did the handheld versions in the 2000s so psp ds 3ds we'll come to how highly those are regarded shortly uh, but I think it's fair to say this is mostly thought of as a Mac and PC, Mac and Windows PC, I should say, uh, game first and foremost. That's not to say that that's where most people played it necessarily, but that's kind of where it's thought of. Um, 
it was a Mac game, so it was built on a engine called HyperCard, which was something that was used for some of the um, the Miller Brothers' previous uh, games. But that engine was not going to cut it on Windows, so it was on a Mohawk engine in Windows. Again, something you're going to hear a lot of is when this game had new versions made, almost every time it was a new engine. So it is a game that has not just been ported across systems, but across technologies even broader than that. Um, so uh, I've already mentioned two of these people, but some of the key staff that we need to probably mention up front, because as with a lot of games of that era, as with a lot of experimental, more indie-style projects, um, there's, a ve- there's a fairly small number of people who, who we have in our credit list here. So it's worth going through, I think, some of the key people. Um, Rand Miller, designer and programmer for uh, Myst. Brother Robin Miller, um, designer, artist and composer for Myst. Laurie Strand, the uh, producer of this original version. Uh, we have Chuck Carter as an artist uh, or co-artist with Robin Miller and Chris Brandcamp as a sound designer. Um, so those are kind of key staff that were involved. And in terms of development, I've touched on kind of uh, where it came from, from the, the Millers. Um, this was a game that came out way earlier than I expected. So part of the reason that I chose this for my game to include in this volume was I had a look at what of what games have got anniversaries uh, coming up, and it turns out that we are releasing this uh, within five weeks, I guess, of uh, the 30th anniversary of when this game came out on Mac. Now, as we go through, you will hear a lot of the kind of discussion about this game, a lot of the critical reception didn't actually start to hit until 1994, which was when the PC version came out. That obviously increased massively the number of people playing, um, but right back on 24th of September 1993 was when the Mac version came out, which was what this game was originally created to be on. Um, And then very quickly, although over a number of years, definitely is a game that kind of simmered away for the rest of the the decade. Um, March 1994, Windows PC release. Uh, 1995, variously, 3DO, Sega Saturn, Atari Jaguar ports. Uh, 1996, PlayStation port. And I stopped there because it just goes on. Uh, you know, I've already mentioned we've got handheld versions already mentioned uh, or not mentioned yet. Uh, iOS and Android ports around 2010, um, right up to Oculus Quest release in 2020, although that counts as a different version. So we'll kind of get there. But chances are, if there is a system that you own, it appeared on it or, you know, a sibling console at some point uh, it really did do the rounds on just about everything. Uh, to various quality degrees, which we'll get to. Um, So yeah, it's worth saying we're going to cover the different versions now that have come out since the original Myst. We're probably going to go into a lot of the changes, whether we particularly liked that version or not. I know that's before we've got to our histories and talking about the actual game, but it just kind of made sense to get through what is a very long, almost in honesty, 30-year-long development and re-release and re-versioning of this game. Uh, right up front to give a sense of this kind of scope that we're talking about. So, uh, Cyan Inc., uh, as far as I can tell with the developer, some of the credits for for these older games are are difficult in terms of the series. Mist has not always been developed by Cyan, even though they've had a hand in an awful lot of it and are, and are now the custodians of, of Mist. Um, but Mist Masterpiece Edition, you can go back to, like... Uh, uh, internet archive versions of ubisoft's old website and find 
the listing of this game under its PC games, uh, taking you straight back to the time of its release, May 2000, uh, was Missed Masterpiece Edition. So after all of the ports, it was still the case that Mist had legs and people wanted to see new versions of that game come out. And by the time we'd got to, excuse me, May 2000, uh, and I guess the couple of years before that for this development, it was clear that there were technological leaps that Mist was no longer able to make without some overhauling. So uh, changes listed on uh, old Ubisoft.com website are, it went from 8-bit color to 24-bit color, uh, which is obviously a huge step up in terms of the uh, visual range it's able to show. Um, remastered score with 16-bit sound effects, re-rendered animations and cutscenes, um, first-person pers- mode, uh, well, first-person uh, and paired-back UI. That's how they described it. Now, I would have described the original Mist as first-person, but there was a bullet point to say that they tweaked the way it looked to make it feel more like a first-person game uh, for Masterpiece Edition. Uh, and also included the digital guide TM with multiple, quote-unquote, multiple levels of help, um, which we'll get into why that seemed necessary, but this game was released at a time where you couldn't easily Google a walkthrough or a, a, a Let's Play, and getting stuck was absolutely something that happened. So the Masterpiece Edition, feel when I think of Mist now, and, and the, the the two most recent times I've played Mist, I've played the Masterpiece Edition, and when when I think of mist it is undoubtedly the masterpiece yeah. edition that i think of for me that is the original mist uh, and i know yeah. it's not but it, it feels like no, no, it's ubiquitous now i mean if you wanted to buy a copy of mist off ebay trying to find an original either for mac or, or windows is very difficult but the masterpiece edition i pick one up for for this because I, I didn't have a copy like four pound four pound fifty it's next yep. to nothing yep and and if you buy it on Steam now, it's going to be the Masterpiece Edition. Yeah. It's just kind of in that way that often happens. It's now almost the default version of yeah. the original game. We'll come to why there are now multiple branches of this game. But in terms of Miss 1993 kind of got usurped by uh, yeah. the, the 2000 version. Yeah. Uh, Masterpiece Edition, yeah. So speaking of that... Um, by the time uh, May tw- 2000 came round, already, I, almost in the canon ready to release, was a completely, quote-unquote, completely different version of Mist called Real Mist Interactive 3D Edition. So this was kind of what I meant when we're talking about the first steps of moving this game across to proper game engine, making it have more of the kind of feel of a, a game of its era, of a first-person uh, game. Um, so Cyan Inc. and Sunsoft uh, co-developed on this. I think it may still have been split platform-wise, but they're both listed as developer. Uh, again, Ubisoft as publisher. Um, release date on Windows first this time around, November 2000. Mac OS uh, a year and change later in January 2002. Um, listed as bullet, bullet points uh, for this one. Um, new engine, 3D Plasma this time around, which is not something I've ever heard of, so... Uh, so new graphics render to go with that. Obviously, that would be necessary. Um, what I'm going to describe as pseudo tank controls and movement. I don't know if that's fair, but that's kind of how I felt about it. When I'd heard this game had like what was more 3D, was more like first person. I expected the controls to feel that way. And when I started playing it on my um, Steam Deck, 
I was surprised that I needed to be moving to turn. And if I used either lateral direction stood still, it was more of a strafe almost. Um, I don't know if that was a Steam Deck thing. might have been different on mouse and keyboard, but it definitely felt like that kind of stilted tank movement where if I was moving, I could keep the momentum going, but not otherwise. So I think, you, did you play the Masterpiece Edition though, James, on the Steam Deck? The real Miss Masterpiece That's Edition? That's true. It would have been the Masterpiece so Edition. I think it yeah, was no, further tweaked right, yeah. for that. I think it, yeah, right, I think it was yeah, further yeah. refined. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely fair, yeah. Again, it was on Steam, so yeah, uh, we'll get on to the Masterpiece Edition of that version, or of this version, uh, in a sec. But one of the, the major things that was added in, which uh, uh, was weather effects, so different areas of the island would um, would have different weather effects going on. That included um, storms rolling in, clouds, that kind of thing, uh, lighting changes. Yeah, day-night uh, cycle, wasn't day it? Yeah. Stuff. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um and in hand with that, there were some tweaks to the island layout. So spotting Tiana's gravestone, I immediately thought to myself, did I just miss this in two other mm. versions of the game that I played? <laughs> but nope, it's there here. Uh, so moving some stuff around. So um, uh, for one of the areas you have to go to, there's a hut with a furnace inside. On the original Mist Masterpiece Edition, I could not for the life of me get to the tree that I was yeah. supposed to get to. Yeah without just like fudging it almost i didn't i couldn't see there was a there to go and in in real mist uh certainly the masterpiece edition it's it's just they open out that area a little bit yeah. more make it more obvious that there's an extra pathway around the side make the route down to the waterfront more obvious from there so just tweaks to the island layout to make it easier to navigate along with the change to controls and movement uh and probably the the biggest part to mention uh that's been added is this game split up rather than levels into ages. Each age is a different island or, or section, world to go to, in essence. Uh, and a whole new one was added. The Rhyme Age was added, which we will cover when we talk about the individual uh, ages within the game. Shortly after, uh, I think this was a few years later. Yeah, but 2005, um, I think. Yeah, Real Mist Masterpiece Edition came out. So like the first one, a Masterpiece Edition which kind of served as the polished version that would then go forward uh, on Steam now. Um, this is the first time we're going to hear a game engine that we absolutely have heard of before and must have been an incredibly early game to be in the Unity engine. Uh, but yep, new engine, Unity. Uh, graphical update, but the original graphics from the original game were included as a toggle in, in this. Um, and some big performance updates. So much less of a leap forward for the Masterpiece Edition of Real Mist versus its originator. James, just one note there. It was 2014. The Masterpiece Edition. Wow, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Unbelievable. That makes much more sense for Unity, though, because 2005 sounded really early for that, but that makes much more sense. Um, Yeah, thank you for checking on that. So I actually played Real Mist last. Again, we'll get into the nitty-gritty of our histories, but I played Masterpiece Edition Original Mist first. Um, then I played Mist 2020 on Oculus Quest. Then I played Real Mist Masterpiece Edition. And I kind of wish I'd played Real Mist Masterpiece Edition first, if I'm honest. For maybe it was just I knew where I was going and what I was doing much more by that point. But it felt like I could explore the world without the barriers of teleport control, which we'll get into for the 2020 version in a second. Um, it felt like a space I could explore and actually knew well. 
then when I was playing that. Um, so just general sort of open question. Jesse, you've already mentioned this from Qualms. I think it was Jesse. Qualms with Real Mist yeah. and how it, it kind of looks. Um, how do we feel about the having these two versions? I have not actually mm, yeah. played it, but just in terms of the, mm. the screenshots I saw and the comments I saw... I mean, yeah. one one thing about Mist is is that I think it is. I mean, the version I played all the way through is the VR one. I have never played the other ones yeah. uh, through. Yeah. I I played a little of it on Steam Deck, and I'll I'll talk about you know the original Mac version. Uh, but you know, it's a showcase for technology, and it just feels yeah. like real Mist showed up at the when everything just looked like what's that cartoon Xavier Renegade Angel or whatever the Adult Swim. Oh, look, the thing that looks like a Newgrounds cartoon that's just loads of random asset spam. Yeah, yeah. There's just that early 2000s vibe that uh, I think will age into a grotesque very nicely, but I think, you know, uh, unironically, people people tend to... I don't know. Uh, That's my impression I've gotten about real men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I do have a bit of that to kind of shed light on. Um, we'll certainly talk about the the aesthetics later on. I think I tend to agree. Certainly in stills, probably in motion, there's something to be said. I think for the original Mist in that respect, or Masterpiece Edition, which would be the version we'd be playing now. Um, it's also worth saying that part of the thing that drags Real Mist down in some people's estimation is the reason for the Masterpiece Edition was performance updates. There were some real issues with how that played. Uh, when Real Mist first came out, um, which at 2000 with kind of full 3D graphics, you can absolutely imagine it would have run into some issues. Um, but yeah, it, it didn't perform as well as maybe it could have on on various systems. So I think the performance update definitely, obviously I've only played it with that, so I can't speak to those complaints. But um, yeah, I've definitely heard a few rumbles about things that weren't quite as popular with Real Mist. Yeah, I've got no problem with the way it looks. It's just the way it controls for me. I just couldn't mm. get on at all. And I was playing it on the Steam Deck, which is probably less than ideal. I accept that. But I, I didn't like the quasi-free roam that they put into Real Mist. I mm. had a dabble with it because that felt like the thing to do because it was new, but I quickly yeah, reverted yeah. to the usual, to, to the traditional Mist way of controlling. And when I did yeah, yeah. that, I actually didn't mind the way it looked. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a terrible and a purist for these things. So I would always mm. prefer the original graphics. Um, but I didn't, I didn't have much of a problem with the way it looked. It was more the control method that I didn't really get on with. You see, I kind of went the other way around. Like, again, we'll get to our histories, but I started off um, playing the original masterpiece edition and I'm not, I'm not sure that I remembered that it was basically like a, a slideshow, like moving through the pieces <laughs> rather than mm. actually being like full 3d control. Oh, um, nostalgia so, does funny things, John. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Also, this is from when I was about 10. I last probably played Myst. So, I mean, I, I'd totally forgotten because I'd also played some of the more recent versions since then. Um, but I started that up and played through the, basically to the point where I'd kind of explored all of the, the main island and, and figured out how to get to the other ages. And then I just thought, I'm just going to close this down and try try real real mist instead and see see what it's like, and that ended up just because of the the added um, full movement controls and not quite full look controls, but it yeah. feels so much different to the original game that I never went back to the other one. I just played the whole thing in in real mist masterpiece edition. I mean, I need to go and play that 2020 version because I'm sure that's also 
kind of a sort of a revelation of upgrades between but i mean for me like real mist is kind of is where it's at like that's the one that i got very used to very quickly and felt it was the upgrade version so i i couldn't really complain about the controls in that respect i know it is kind of weird and it is it is clunky and there there were a few bits that i just got very bizarrely stuck looking at things or like stuck in positions but for me that's that's like the the right way that mist plays yeah, yeah, it sounds similar to how I ended up feeling. I, I ended up feeling like both Mist Masterpiece Edition and Mist 2020 were a bit clunky, and I just got on better with the way that um, Real Mist uh, played. But I think that just goes to show, like, I don't think any version has a perfect control method. It's all just going to be what ends up kind of vibing, or you end up vibing better with in terms of just what makes more sense. And something about playing um, Real Miss Masterpiece Edition worked for me, and it sounds like for you uh, as well, John. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, so our our kind of final version that we're talking about, although it's far from a simple final version, is that in 2020, a version just called Mist, no subtitles, no extras, no nothing else, just Mist, was uh, made by Cyan, published by uh, Ubisoft. Um, I've got listed down here that I hope that's correct uh it was released on 10th of december 2020 for oculus quest only so a vr version uh then eight months later 26th of august 2021 two years ago as as we record this roughly um it was also released for windows mac and xbox series s series x and xbox one so because it's xbox one it's back and back with some upgrades so um so it works across all those systems um, it's worth saying, so this started as a VR version and then kind of was VR on PC, but also the flat screen version, as they kind of refer to it as, um, was added later, where now you have the ability to sit down with a controller, sit down with a mouse and keyboard and play it. Whereas before, on Oculus Quest, initially, you just had the controllers to use and you have... Um, so your controls are fairly simple. It's to teleport movement um, is the kind of default and you're flicking the stick forward to pointing and then flicking forward to where you want to go um, and then using your stick to kind of flick left and right to kind of turn in increments around. So really straightforward VR feels very like, oh, this just works. Let's not tweak it too much. It's, it is still, I find, quite clunky. However, after the initial release, a quote-unquote hands and more update was added which because oculus quest and quest 2 has the ability to do hand tracking it gives hand controls and that's the default when you start the game now i could not make that work i I just like it's really weird you have to like do finger guns point where you want to go and then pull back on your finger tip slightly to say yes go there now so you're always pointing and then pull back that worked fairly well for me. The problem I had was to turn, you stick your thumb up and then tilt it left or right to turn. I ended up just jamming myself up against literally the door you start next to on the dock, jammed up against the corner of that, and it just wouldn't turn. No I idea. So instantly that's picked where up I my got controllers and was just like, yeah, whatever, Same. man. Uh, I was, there's other <laughs> updates when I, when I first played it. Uh, not when it came out, but when it like first went on sale, I picked it up. Uh, and 
uh, they they didn't have any way to take photos, uh, which yeah. Ma- yeah, makes yeah. it more difficult because you know you need some form of note taking and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I that that it, we'll get to the history, but yeah, I put it down at that point and and now have come back. <laughs> so um, yeah, I I still found it a bit clunky with the controllers. Still, it still felt like I was having to massage the controls to get to where I wanted to go. I was kind of surprised that I couldn't find an easy way. Like there's some options that suggest you should be able to go to smooth control. I'm not suggesting that would have been a good idea. Sometimes teleporting in VR is just the safe option. But it, given the way the game looked, being in VR, I just wanted to m- just move freely and explore, which I think is why I responded to then playing Real Mist Masterpiece Edition so well, was it still just felt like, oh, this is a fully realized world, but I'm still just having to teleport around instead of moving. It, just I did not like have to teleport. I, that's interesting. I I had smooth okay. movement yeah. uh, for the whole game. Okay. I don't know if that option weird wasn't available. Yeah, uh, because Strange. yeah, I don't know. Uh, it it yeah. Um, hmm. I I just yeah, turned it weird. on instantly because I always turn on yeah, smooth yeah, yeah. movement. And uh, yeah. no, there's if you click the joystick, you can run, and you go at like quick speeds. Well. And I was. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it definitely made uh, running around in the forest uh, water pipe yeah, area yeah. Uh, a lot less tedious. Yeah, yeah. No, so so yeah, fair, fair warning, folks. Have a sit, and while you're on the dock, have a play with movement methods and do better than I did. Very quickly pick up controllers and see if you can find a movement system that works for you. That goes without saying for all VR games, but this one, obviously, given you may well have played previous versions, definitely have a play with that. Um, so kind of uh, bullet points about this one um, now on Unreal Engine 4 so new engine again it's done the rounds this game um, completely brand new graphics like you'll recognize the environment the geometry but the graphics are all absolutely brand new uh, has free roam 3D environments uh, designed initially for VR but as I said there's a flat screen version um, one thing in terms of the graphics We'll get on to how we feel about the graphics, but one of the complaints that I have heard several times about this version of the game is instead of the character models being like digitized videos of people performing, um, the they have introduced 3D character models instead. Um, though That's been a fairly strong form of criticism. It didn't bother me initially, but by the time I was standing in front of... Um, Atrus at the end of the game, I I was like, yeah, actually, there was nothing wrong with the way this was done in Real Mist or or Mist itself. Yeah, I, I think the the point I wanted to make going through these is there kind of is no default way to play Mist at the moment. You would you would kind of look at Steam and assume, oh, the twenty twenty version must just be that's the modern version. The others there for historical purposes. It really, I I don't want to speak for everyone. It really doesn't feel like that to me. It kind of needs to be that you try out the different versions and see what works best for you and see what's going to be your version of Mist that you prefer to play because they all have different flavors, different feels. They're just going to appeal to different people differently, I think is kind of where I netted out on it all. Do you know that I've I've not played, so I've not played the 2020 version. I really want to, uh, and I was going to pick it up, but I just ran out of time before this recording. But I was listening to the, uh, it's Robin Miller who did the GDC post-mortem talk, wasn't it, a few years back? And listening to him talking about the the design of Mist and the things they thought about in pre-production and whatnot, 
and the constraints that they had to design around. They basically built features out of those constraints, like all good developers should. But I was, I, I couldn't help but think, I, I wonder if he looks at 2020 Mist and thinks, in my head, in 1991, when I was designing Mist, that is yeah. what I was designing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it just feels like, you know, the, the website, the tribute website to Mist is called the Mist Journey, and it's very fitting. Because mm. I feel like 2020 Mist is almost a culmination of almost 30 years of, as the technology has improved, just constantly refining the game to get to that point where you think, right, that is definitive what we intended to make. I don't know. Maybe maybe not, but it feels well, that way. It also, it feels slightly incongruous to me. I mean, I don't know who names these things, but to release a game and then to release uh, an updated version yeah. and call it the Masterpiece Edition, then to release one called Real Mist, real as Mist, if your Masterpiece yeah. actually wasn't <laughs> that much. And then there's the Real Mist Masterpiece Edition as well. Kind of reeks of like, well, you know, we obviously we obviously thought this was very good going in, but we can tweak it. But to, to yeah. change the name like that and to, to call yourselves Masterpieces twice little bit weird. <laughs> yeah, it's unlikely the developers would have done that. Would have been I imagine that was more of a publisher thing, but it does make the whole thing very confusing to someone mm. who doesn't know the history of Mist and as you said James, coming at this and thinking, "Well, which version should I play?" Yeah, I mean, yeah. ah, it's almost impossible to fathom. I think what you said is right. I mean, just just drop into any version and have a go at it. Yeah. I I yeah. will say that I think that the namings feel less like hubris than like when you have a file that's, you know, final version dot final final <laughs> really final. So, yeah, uh, we, we have spent a lot of time there kind of dissecting the versions. But what was actually, I've said that Mist was uh, influential, I've said it was important. What was actually the reception? Um, we are going to start off with our first piece of forum feedback. So if you uh, listen to the show, if you if you happen to know that there's a, a game, or if you want to find out if there's a, a game that we're going to be covering in the future that you'd like to get, leave feedback on, uh, canonrinse.com forward slash forum. Uh, Jay has very kindly set up a bunch of forum threads there, which are one for each and every of the, the announced issues that we're going to be, uh, be recording in the future. You can go there and leave your feedback from right now to the very end of this year. Uh, feel free to go and do that. Alex79 did, and so here's what uh, he had to say. I remember when I was younger, Mist almost being a bit of a standing joke in some magazines which derided it for boring gameplay and being not much more than a pretty slideshow. I never played the game myself until the recent version that came out a couple of years ago. I have no idea if this was a remake, a remaster, or just a sequel in the series, but I came to it with some interest as I'd really enjoyed other first-person puzzle games such as The Witness and The Talos Principle. Well, I bounced off Mist like a ball of rubber bands on a trampoline. Would that actually bounce? Probably not. I do get what you mean, Alex. It turns out those magazines all those years ago were right. Or perhaps more accurately, I agreed with what they were saying. I found the game terribly dull, the puzzles obtuse, and I uninstalled the game after barely any playtime whatsoever. Maybe it gets better the further you get in, but I'll never find out. Um, I wanted to include that here. Obviously, that's a negative response to this game, entirely valid. But the bit about it being a standing joke in some magazines, I think that is kind of what I was pointing to when people were sort of, it was almost, oh, that's that thing over here that's a bit silly. No, it's that's not games. There was some criticism levied at it that it was kind of an anti-arcade game and kind of in that era where we're, the kind of pinnacle of gaming was trying to work out how to take that feeling of being in an arcade and move it over to a Super Nintendo or a Master System or that kind of thing. 
this stood aside from that and so did get i think some derision i think it's alex is on the money with what i've read and and kind of reports there but that also said here's some of potentially the reason why that happened is because actually the overwhelming response to um to mist was it got lionized pretty quickly it got lifted up and held up as an example of games can also be this um so uh, we start off with Newsweek in December 1994 say, comparing Mist to an art film destined to gather critical acclaim and then dust on the shelves. That was kind of the aura around the game and you can absolutely, I think, I can understand why that might have led to some derision, some nose turning at it. Um, but Notably turned out to be totally wrong when it was still selling ridiculous copies eight years down the line. And this is the thing, yeah. That's all about popularity, that statement from Newsweek. And yet, Amazingly, this was the best-selling PC game until The Sims came out in 2002. So for 10 years, pretty much, after its release, it was the best-selling PC game. We are talking about an era that, like, do I need to say Doom? Do I need to say Half-Life? You know, we're we're not talking about an era where no games came out. That's an amazing statistic that I, I can't go and check, but it's stated multiple places as being the case. Now I know I would stuff argue, like Doom. I, I would argue, though, John, yeah. that that Newsweek quote, it, it doesn't tell the tale of the sales, but Jimmy Ma, the wonderful digital antiquarian Jimmy Ma, absolutely yeah. wonderful writer, and he's written a brilliant piece on Mist. He he makes the point, and I have to agree with him, that how many of those millions and millions of copies it sold, how many mm. people do you think actually finished the game? Oh, I would. Oh, yeah, I would yeah. have. I have no data, but I would hazard yeah. a guess it's less than twenty five percent. So I think a yeah. lot of those copies did gather dust on shelves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I quite possibly, but it still stands that. And I think it's fair to say they didn't necessarily get completed. But we'll hear from people later on. They actually still got put in the machines and played because people just liked being in the world yeah, and yeah. liked playing around in it and so even if they didn't finish the game either soaking up the atmosphere or just playing around to see what they could do mm, um, yeah. um my memories of mist from the mid 90s were basically people saying you need to see this game like look how incredible it looks yeah. look this like full motion video it comes on a cd as far as i'm aware yeah. this might not be correct but it was if not the first was one of the very first games that was sold on a cd rom as opposed to as opposed to on various floppy disks floppies yeah um, so that was that was my main memory of it. It's not so much people going like, "Look how incredible this is! It's such a fun thing to play." It was more yeah. just like you've got to see this. It was almost like the kind of the crisis of its day of like you need a PC that has a disc drive in it to run this. You know, yeah. you want to you yeah. see these graphics that you've never seen before, especially from a lot of people that would have been coming from DOS games and things that looked as they did on. Um, you know, on sort of uh, Amiga style PCs, or you know, even even less than that, even um, you know, compared to like a NES game or something that also came out in 1993, or a SNES game. This is such a huge step that I think that was kind of more of the legacy of it was. It's kind of beautiful. It's got this like it looks realistic in a way that we've never seen anything that's quite like this yeah. before. Like it didn't look how typical video games were supposed to be. It was it was a real kind of like. I remember it being like an adult thing. Like this was something that, you know, I didn't come from a household that played video games and my parents were never interested in that sort of thing. But they had friends who, 
you know, they wouldn't have been sitting there playing with a Super Nintendo or playing Doom, but they sure as heck were playing things like Myst because it felt like sort of a grown-up game to play. It was like the equivalent of doing a crossword or something. It was like, look at this <laughs> smart thing that we can do. So I think in that respect, it probably, you know, maybe it was like a sort of a sleeper hit among otherwise non-typical gamers of that day. Yeah, yeah. And also I think it's worth saying that the CD-ROM aspect is part of the reason why this game sold so well, because if I think of, well, more people played Doom than played this. Like, I'm I, I'm saying that right now. Surely, yeah. All of my friends played Doom. How many of us bought Doom? Sorry, Id, it was zero, mm. because it just got passed around, because there was freeware versions, because it was on floppy disk. It just got moved around a lot more. Whereas this game, not only did you have to buy a CD or have a PC with a CD-ROM in it, you probably also wanted a sound card. That wasn't a given back then. But then if you had those things, you were going to buy this game because you wanted to show those things off. And mm-hmm. you had to buy it in order to do that because rewritable CD drives weren't commonplace at that point. So part of it is being on CD meant you had to buy it. And uh, I mean, another statistic on the sales, it topped the US monthly game charts 52 times between March 1994 and April 1999. That is so for more than four years in that five-year-and-change period, it was on top of the U.S. monthly game charts. Yeah. It, it's it, it's un- unbelievable. And and I stopped and thought, they must just mean PC. And then I realized, no, no, it's because all of the ports were coming out. Every time it dropped on a new console from, from 94 to 99, which, as we've heard, was throughout that period, it dropped on that console and people just went to buy it because they'd heard about they knew the reputation of this game. And yeah, yeah it's it really is astonishing. Yeah, I think it was also, I mean, I, I've, I've been reading a load of old Edge magazines, so that would have been 1993 into 1994 over the last yeah. few months. And and it's amazing how much the, the journalists at the time were talking about video games losing their luster, far too predictable, everything's a 2D platformer, you know, they look great, but it's just the same old games we've been playing now for 10 years. Yeah. I think this was a poster child for so much, so much. It was a poster child for the CD-ROM drive. Let's face it, most of the CD-ROM inverter commas games were were terrible. And and this was a game that looked like it looked and wasn't terrible, but it was also seen as, look, you don't have to have lightning-fast reflexes to play this. Anyone can play it. You don't have to be a a gamer, a capital G gamer to play it. So it was held up as this paragon of virtue for so many different people claiming so many different things. Actually, it it, it kind of did them no favors in the end. I think for people who would who would go on to to judge it just as an actual game. But in terms yeah. of the savior of the industry, the the lighthouse of the industry. I mean, it was people just stuck it on so many different pedestals. It's hard almost yeah. to judge it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which which yeah. kind of brings it back to Dragon Slayer, which had the same. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's just that thing of the thing that looks so amazing and looks so cutting edge and isn't necessarily. I mean, I enjoyed Dragon Slayer. You know, it isn't necessarily hollow because there's a lot you can do with very simple affordances that they managed to do yeah. that was interesting. But but right is not is not pointing the direction for a a, a rich kind of gameplay like Doom is. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 completely. Where 20 yeah. people can run with that 
and even if they're not geniuses on the same level, kind of come up with some interesting twist on on this enjoyable action thing, whereas Mist is so delicate that, you know, uh, most people who tried to imitate it uh, just completely fell flat, it feels like. So those numbers that, that made it the best-selling uh, PC game, uh, Mist sold 6.3 million copies as of 2000. So that was seven years after its release, so not quite up to when The Sims came out, but getting there. Uh, That includes 4.3 million in the US and excludes bundled copies. Now, the reason that's notable is not because Mist was bundled with a load of consoles necessarily, like we would think of bundled games, but like I say, when you were buying a PC or when you were buying an upgrade for your PC that was Soundcard CD-ROM, Mist is absolutely the game that would get bundled in with that. And therefore, it's almost impossible to know how many copies of Mist not in terms of pirated piracy and that kind of thing, just in terms of how many copies are out there. It's really difficult to know, but it, it is really astonishing numbers for for this game. For me to hear that, it was kind of almost incongruous to a certain extent. And I presume that the, the reason for listing it as up to 2000 is because that's when the Masterpiece Edition and Real Mist were first starting to drop as well. So you have to like semi-assume that 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 is 6.3 million copies of the very original version of the game how many people bought it multiple times when then the masterpiece edition came out and then real (laughs) mist as well like i mean just speaking from personal experience i have at least four different copies of mist across different (laughs) platforms and consoles i've got at least three of them on steam from the three different releases so like my my hands in the air and i didn't even buy or play this game until this year so I, I already have three copies. Yeah. I, there you go, you know. Yeah, it's like the, uh, yeah. the yeah. number of copies that must be flying about, the number of, like, overall copies installed on people's computers and stuff and consoles must be yeah. mad by this point. Yeah, so I think that probably takes us through all the different versions of Mist and kind of the differences there are there and and a lot of the kind of snapshot of where this game came from and what was the aura around it. Uh, in terms of our histories, though, I get the impression we're all going to have quite wildly different uh, histories. Um, I've just got us down, uh, starting with, with Chris. Would you like to tell us a bit about how you came to this game and what versions of it you've played and when? Yeah, sure. So I'll keep mine brief because we've already talked about me indirectly because I was the classic. I was, <laughs> so 1994, I was an Amiga owner. I was playing all kinds of games, but my favourite, favourite game was Championship Manager 2. And I knew that the PC version of that loaded in about half the time as the Amiga. So I was badgering my dad for an Amiga. (laughs) And then we went to one of his mate's house, and his mate had a PC, and he was playing. So we went went there, and he was playing. He put Mist on because he knew I was into games. And he said, come and have a look at this. So he, he, he shows me and my dad Mist. And I remember my dad, my dad wasn't into to games, but I remember him looking at him and he couldn't believe what he was seeing. And I said to my dad, I said, hey, dad, look, you know, my Amiga couldn't do that. We need to get one of those. So that was it. Then. So, that, yeah, that was late 94. So for Christmas that year, I I managed to bag myself a swank to the, the Amiga. God knows what happened to that Amiga. It, it disappeared. In came the swanky PC with the sound card, 15-inch monitor, and two two CD-ROMs, one was in Carter 95, and the other was Mist. Uh, and I remember showing my mum, my brothers, anyone who come into the house, Mist would go on, 
They'd have a look at it. They'd wander around the island, and it would go off again. And that's as far as it went. I yeah. never even bothered to try, or not that I can remember anyway. Maybe I did have a dabble with it, but I don't ever remember getting anywhere. And then I remember when it was when I was in uni, and I I think at, by this point it was Miss Masterpiece Edition, probably 2001-ish. I picked it back up, the game, and got through it. I remember having a lot of help with, from online walkthroughs at that point to get through it. And that was the version that I played again, I want to say about six or seven years ago. I can't remember what made me go back to it. Um, and then most recently, so I now have a Windows 98 PC again, and I, I, I got a copy from eBay. And in preparation for this, I played through Miss Masterpiece Edition and also about 80% of Real Mist on the Steam Deck. Uh, so, yeah, for once on a Kane and Rinse episode, I actually do have some proper history, and I was the classic, the guy who looked at it and thought, I need one of those. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, almost a polar opposite experience to me, I guess, but <laughs> we'll get to me in a second. So, uh, Jesse, how about yourself? Uh, it it it. It's a funny and slightly fraught experience because, as I mentioned, this was I got a a new Mac uh, as uh, I got a used Mac for graduating from high school, and then I got a a new Mac for graduating from college to replace that one, uh, and it came with a CD-ROM drive, uh, and I got missed in the seventh guest, and uh, me and my uh, girlfriend and two other friends lived in some uh, professor housing and were, you know, teaching SAT over the summer after my senior year before I, I left for grad school. Uh, and there is a couple of, you know, I started playing it, and uh, of course, just as sort of a novelty for uh, this new CD-ROM drive I have, which I don't know why I have it, but it's the thing you should have, you know, it's a new computer. Um, and uh, I got confused and I got, I mean, it, it was very fraught and this is an odd thing to talk about. And I do feel like it needs to be sort of put into context of, you know, I was 19 when I graduated and I mostly mm -hmm. got there because I was very good at bubble tests. Like I, I believe an IQ test is just a, a puzzle game with an army and a navy. Right, that you you give Nintendo enough nukes and Big Brain Academy uh, determines you know who's smart. Uh, and Mist had a certain authority about it, and I know that you know certain ways developing my sense of humor or goofiness was was sort of a, a attempt to reconcile that dialectic of people are telling me smart, but I'm very frequently incontrovertibly stupid. Uh, and a lot of that was like, I would play Infocom games as a kid and be like, oh no, I have no idea what's going on here. Uh, or just run into other things that, uh, other people I know could solve. And I'd be like, I, okay, I guess this is just not where, uh, I have strengths, but I remember getting missed and, and having that kind of, this game has too much authority because I've heard too much about it already for me to accept its judgment of me. And thus, uh, I'm going to ignore it and play The Seventh Guest with my girlfriend, which we enjoyed because it was kitschy. It was like Mystery Science Theater with like crossword puzzles. Yeah. Or so. it, was, yeah. it was much more conventional in a way. that, yeah. And she was like, she was not a game person, but was up for a crossword puzzle kind of, you know, like in that kind of swing voter category. And that one we just fell into super natural and 
uh, no pun intended, it played that for the next few weeks and had a great time figuring out all of its goofy puzzles and seeing all the FMV. Uh, and then a friend who had just graduated from college, my, one of my old sweet mates, came up and visited for the weekend. And as people sometimes did when they visited college friends in those days, just got sucked into a computer game the other person owned that they did not have access to. And he yeah. just ended up playing Miss the whole weekend and was just yeah. enraptured. <laughs> and I was even more off-put because he was very smart in a way that I... He, he, and he was a med student, he was, etc. So, so it always had this you know, just sort of aura about it. Like I feel Dark Souls has for certain people who, yeah. you know, heard it was so hard, played it, got to the skeletons, fought the skeletons 20 times. Were like, this game <laughs> is telling me I suck and never looked for another path. Or that that weird thing about games and tests, you know, um, games as tests, I suppose. And yeah. uh, then I didn't touch it forever. Uh, and just had very little interest in why I would read like Next Generation magazine back on it for not being a real video game. I was like, yeah, you know, thing dumb. Uh, and then it, you know, came out for the quest, uh, and it went on sale. And I was like, at this point, I'm just like, well, I'll poke around in it. It seems fun, and I did. And I, uh, I did notice the door to your left when you start the game finally. Mm. Uh, and I made it to one or two of the worlds, and um, you know like had an okay time, an unfraught, pleasant time and put it down. Uh, but then the mini golf course came out uh, and it's a really fantastic mini golf course that I've played a lot. <laughs> uh, and again, has its own puzzle hunt where you find golf clubs and introduces Larry. And it just kind <laughs> of made me appreciate, I appreciated the vibe of the game once I had played the VR version. And mm-hmm. as that kind of walking simulator, I kind of got over my, issue whatever intellectual insecurities with it uh but you know was not willing to use a hint book still uh and so just got stuck in a lot of places and put it down um but then i basically didn't touch it but played mini golf on its main island for six months and then this cannon rinse came around and i now really really like it (laughs) <laughs> you know, I had I had a grand old time. I used to walk through a little, but an interesting thing I guess we'll get to with the puzzles is that you can definitely get hints that point you in the right direction, but you still have to figure stuff out about the mechanics yeah. of it, which is kind of the more satisfying part, maybe anyway. And uh, yeah, I've I've come on a long thirty-five year journey or whatever it's been, you know, thirty-three year journey with Mist. But uh, uh, I am now looking forward to maybe playing Rivet. Excellent. I hear that's way harder. So, <laughs> good, good I'll luck. use a hint book. I've, I'm, I've, <laughs> yeah. I'm a broken man. It's fine. Uh, so, John, uh, uh, yeah. 1993 was that when you picked up uh, Mist? No, no, I was, I was far too young at that point. Like my, my very early memories of it are, I think, what I was saying before about hearing like friends of my parents who I never would have assumed would have been interested in video games at all because at that yeah. point. Video games to me were basically like Sonic the Hedgehog and maybe sort of branching out slightly into things like Doom and stuff for, you know, more adult things. Um, but I, it never would have occurred to me at age seven or eight or whatever that adults might have also wanted to play video games. So I remember I remember hearing uh, from people about this, this missed game and I'm pretty sure there was a friend of my dad who... Um, who had a PC at this point that um, I used to, when we went over to their house, I occasionally used to play things like um, 
the secret of Monkey Island on their PC, uh, mm-hmm. which may or may not have actually been a Windows PC at the time. I presume it was a, a sort of an Amiga or a DOS PC or something at best. But um, then probably around this similar time, maybe maybe within the, the year or so after, I remember seeing Mist at the same person's place and having absolutely no idea what it was about. I, I feel like yeah. obviously just sort of clicking around and probably seeing some still images, which, as I mentioned earlier, I'd kind of forgotten that the game was basically like still images that you just click around like a screen, like a slideshow. Um, so that was, for like the longest time, that was my kind of experience. I think we didn't get a computer at home until 98, probably. Um, and at that point, I, I think I was, again, like very aware of Mist, but was far more interested in in playing more kind of gamey games at that point, it was very much sort of early days of the internet and um, playing first person shooters and things like that, that I was more interested in. I'm, I don't think I ever would have kind of turned my nose up at Mist so much as just not really, not really been aware of it beyond it being sort of, Oh yeah, that's that kind of adulty game that I remember being confused by and not really understanding at the time when I was seven or eight or nine, maybe um so i think it was it wasn't until a long time later that i actually ever really kind of tried to play it or saw any any like significant gameplay of it it was i mean it's it's extremely iconic a lot of the screenshots and stuff the the overhead shot of the island that's on the that looks like on the box and that you see in all the the promotional images and then the the kind of the sunken ship image that you see a lot in the tower um like it's super burned into my brain as being these things that I'm extremely aware of, but kind of didn't, I guess didn't really understand any of the context for them particularly. Um, so I, I feel like I, I must've played it at some point, um, maybe in like the early thousands or so when, when I like had my own PC and was a bit more kind of, um, you know, buying, buying my own games and a bit more in control of what was, um, you know, what media and stuff was being consumed as opposed to when you're a kid and you're kind of just at the whims of whatever your parents or, or your guardians are, are kind of doing for you. Um, So there's a possibility that I kind of dabbled with e- what would have either been like the Masterpiece Edition or Real Mist when I was kind of doing a lot of like exploration of the history of games and stuff. But even that now is probably nearly 20 years ago. So that's kind of memories are really hazy. Um and the the thing that i do remember quite strongly was when the 2020 game was released um the year later i think it came straight onto game pass on the xbox version and i remember downloading it and kind of just wandering around that island at the beginning not really you know sort of digging into how pretty it looked and and kind of enjoying the the kind of just peaceful nature of it but also again like not really having any proper clue what to do um so I think the first time that I really played the game properly certainly the first time I've, I've ever actually gotten through it or solved any any significant puzzles is basically within like the last the last week or so yeah I'm I'm so pleased that I've I've actually finished this game now and I really want to go and try the different versions and try that 2020 edition like all the way through yeah yeah um so for for my part um I didn't have the kind of release and 90s history with this game i definitely recall seeing the box but that might be as much as i knew about this game up until that stage um i 
I'm not sure when I started actually finding out more about what Mist was. I think certainly by the time I played Dear Esther, I heard people saying, oh, Mist is kind of maybe a touchstone for this game. Uh, and it probably was The Witness when I played that game and people were saying, well, this is Jonathan Blow doing his version of Mist. I was like, okay, I probably need to play Mist at some point. And like so often is the case, it goes on to my kind of backlog of games or goes on to the, the Kenrin spreadsheet. And I'm like, yes, I will play this one day. And then one day just never quite comes around. So when I saw that it was 30-year anniversary, I was like, yeah, this is a no-brainer. This is a game that I've known I should probably and want to definitely play at some point. Uh, So last year when Leon was asking for our choices for what games to include this year, missed 30th anniversary, excuse to play it, was perfect kind of storm. Um... So yeah, this year when it came up in sales, I picked up Masterpiece Edition on Steam, Real Mist Masterpiece Edition on Steam, and the 2020 version on Oculus Quest. And over the past 10 days, I guess, uh, played through the Masterpiece Edition first, um, kind of got to grips with that, made headway with as many of the puzzles as I could, as I say, until I clearly was missing something and at that point was not shy about saying, okay, let me go and see if I can get a hint, you know, find the place in the guide where I can kind of search for how do I do this? Or actually somewhere like Reddit was really useful. Steam forums always useful for, you know, very specific questions about how to do something. Um, and that kind of pushed me through. And then I very quickly went through 20 minute completions of the game in Real Mist Masterpiece Edition and 2020 just to get a feel for what the movement's like, what the world's like, and then dove back in to start unlocking some of the, the ages and and really sort of digging into particularly Real Mist Masterpiece Edition because, as I say, that's the, the one that kind of worked best for me, I think. So there we are. That's how we all got here. And where are we? Um, I think it's we've mentioned a bit about the kind of aesthetic of this game. I think for aesthetic, I've split it into art and graphics and sound and music fairly neat uh, sort of splits on the show notes. Art and graphics, I didn't even put a single bullet point in. I thought, you know what, Miss Journey has some really good side-by-side comparisons of how this game looks in the 1993 version of Mist, the 2000 version of, I think that's Real Mist, and then the Real Mist Masterpiece Edition because of the huge engine overhaul, and then 2021 for the the PC version of, of the Mist 2020 release. It is undeniable to me, and obviously I'll throw the floor open to to you uh, to tall chip in. It's undeniable to me that the graphics get better every time, like better, quote unquote. That there's more fidelity, there's more uh, the textures are more varied and more um, sort of uh, interesting or or detailed, and the lighting is kind of the thing that you're like, oh yeah, no, the shadows here, there the you can see that there's a haze effect to it, that kind of thing. And yet, even though I cannot deny it looks like a 1993 game, I I like the fact that it almost, completely unintentionally, I get it, they, they wanted it to look more realistic than it did. It looks more like an artistic design choice in that game to have much, like bolder colours, because the lighting's not getting in the way, to have textures that are much plainer, so you get almost like bold, like bold, almost pastel blocks of colour around the screen. It it looks intentional to me that that's the case. Now, 
the same creators made all of these changes, so they know better than I do what was their intention. But I really like the original look of the game and how uh, abstract and and artistically designed it looks. Yeah, it's the, it's funny what you say there about an artistic choice. I mean, for just from the few things that I've read and listened to, and you, mm. you know, when you when the Millers have spoken over the years, yeah, yeah. I think it was just all around the technical limitations of the time. But I yeah. think what's happened, like in many of these things, especially from from this era, the, the early to mid nineties, these limitations that led to these almost kind of weirdly plain looking things in in what was intended to be a photorealistic environment, give it this kind of weird otherworldly quality that when you do see things improved in, particularly when you go right forward to 2020 and 2021, the Unreal Engine 4 version, they do lose a little bit of, they lose something that made the original what it was. And it's very difficult to put your finger on it, but Walking around that original Mist Island from the well, from the, the most recently for me from the from the masterpiece edition, so yeah, two thousand, yeah. which was you know more colours and and slightly be- slightly better in inverted commas, you still get this weird something's a bit off feeling to the yeah. place, and it's maybe that you don't quite get that weird feeling in walking around an Unreal Engine four world. I think for for my eyes, there's a real kind of what would be like early PC graphics aesthetic. Like the 1993 versions of all of these pictures, like you look at them and you are acutely aware. Okay, yeah, that's a that's like an old PC game. That's like a, a sort yeah. of early mid 90s PC look. You can see the um, the water in the behind the ship in the 1993 one has that kind of that just sort of spreading out into infinity look that um that you see in a lot of that like and it it reminds me of things like screensavers on old windows 98 pcs and the the encarta stuff like the animations that you'd see in programs like that they it's so iconic to me as a, a real kind of um like a stamp of that time um time period like something that screams yeah. an aesthetic to me that i've always really really appreciated and to some extent I like that more than I like the kind of you look at the the cross with the 2021 version and it's got so much more going on and it it's so much busier but it's also at the same time I kind of imagine that it it makes it less um like less intuitive like if you start off in that 2021 version are you immediately going to look to your left and notice that there's a door there like hidden in the rock wall maybe but because the graphics are so good and everything is kind of more seamless maybe not whereas the old versions you kind of do notice stuff like that it's the same as i think of like you know you find some of the hidden walls in in like the original doom and it's just because the textures are a bit off like you just notice that there's there's something that's clearly just like a a a, copy pasted screen next to each other multiple times has got one that slightly doesn't work in it and that's that's what the original look to me kind of says and i think it's it's something that whether or not it is just nostalgia and it's because it it has that aesthetically you know like pleasing era defining look to me is something that i always have a lot of love for i uh did 
not find the Dorn the 93 version and did find in the 2021 version, but do still prefer the 93 version on, on some level. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I mean, for me, I ended up playing it all the way through in VR because I enjoy yeah. the literal spatial. You know, I think VR is very good at scale and kind of, I would love to play a variety of walking simulators. Uh, I think that actually may end up being kind of their natural habitat because you know you're, yeah. you're you want to look around right and and having mm-hmm. audio coming from different directions very clearly etc it's uh it fits great and i had a very pleasant time and even when i was going through the the whatever rail car maze that we'll talk about like i i didn't look that one up for a while because i was having a perfectly pleasant time i was sitting in bed i had yeah. my arm around a cat and i was just kind of riding rails aimlessly around being like oh maybe this is the way um, which I do not think would have happened to me if I had hit that point in the slideshow version or even the, you know, sort of 3D uh, co- uh, computer version because, and this is again why this game is so delicate and so polarizing is it's not just the design of the puzzles, it's the very like, is it enrapturing to you? Because if it's not, you're just going to bounce as many people have. Um, but yeah, if you're yeah. sort of Im- immersed, to use the you know magic word, in the environment, then the kind of having to wander back and forth and observe, you know, the witness has this quality as well, and that is definitely a game. I, if that came out in VR, I would I would try that again as well. But I do love. Oh, one last thing is there is a, a very interesting website called the uh, Consumer Cari C A R I. It stands for Consumer Aesthetics Research Institute, and I am trying to find. I believe Mist is somewhere between Utopian Scholastic, uh, which they have examples of that are more in the Encarta vein. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I forget what the other one was. I uh, lost the list, but this is very much of an early '90s. It does yeah. not. What was that song by Enigma with the monks chanting? I'm not saying this Return, has the same Return vibe. of Innocence or something. There you go. Or, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, the, you know, this is somewhere with that and D-Light's Groove is in the heart. None of which share an aesthetic in one sense, but and it might just be the, you know, being in the early 90s, but uh, all of them call to mind all the other ones. I think the final point I would make on this as well is that in 1993, this looked, I wouldn't say nothing like anything that had gone before because... I'm sure there were other games that used this kind of, you know, these quasi-photorealistic static images. But in 2021, an Unreal Engine 4 game is not going to stand out from the Unreal Engine 4 crowd. In 1993, mm-hmm. this was gen- genuinely something that didn't you didn't see on every page of the magazine, so it immediately leapt out. You could never recreate that kind of visual look. With, with any other versions of Mist, I would suggest that are ever released. It, that is unique to the 1993 original. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that, that's a good way of, uh, of putting it. Um, so, moving on to the other aspect of the aesthetic, the sound and music. Uh, it's really interesting, I think, actually, reading about this game and how its sound effects were made. So, the visuals were all entirely complete, and then the sound effects were added. And the reason that the sound designer, Chris Brandcamp, wanted to do that was he was really struggling to get the sounds to sound correct. So he thought, right, let's get the visuals sorted. And then, okay, we've got a fire here. Let me record some fire. Wait a second. That doesn't sound like a fire. And how can 
how can this fire not sound like a fire, right? But this is this is exactly what Foley uh, artistry is, which is driving a car over gravel and that crunching sound you get sounds to us more like fire like than recording a fire, fire does. Yeah, to, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's it's the things we expect to hear as the signifiers in media as opposed to the actual uh, veracity of the sound in, in real life. Um, so use, using a, hitting a wrench... Uh, to to make it sound like clock chimes, uh, that kind of thing, and that that seems really interesting to me because something I found in this game, particularly for some of the ambient sounds, when you go into different areas, they do a really good job at putting you in that place to the point where by the time I was playing the the VR version, I. I was expecting the sounds to start before I got there because I knew how that place should sound. So even when you go, when you just start the game and turn immediately left and go down to the hologram machine down there, um, when you go underground and into a cave type environment, you start hearing sound effects that put me on edge. It felt like that thing people say about Gone Home, which is this feels like it should be a ghost story. And yet it's not. It's just trying to put you ill at ease because of the place you're in. And this game does that stuff to me. So that that's kind of a, a summary of how I felt about the sound. I just wondered if, if the sound effects struck anyone else in, in that way or, or differently. I think, I mean, considering that there's at least a couple of puzzles in this that basically rely on you hearing the sound and like identifying the different sounds and realising what they mean, then I mean, it's super, super important that you're going to get that right. And again, to kind of draw back to The Witness, I remember there being not massively similar, but some sort of puzzles in there that involved, like, noises changing and stuff. Yeah. And thinking that when I, when I was playing this today in the the era that uses the um, the sound puzzles, thinking, oh, my God, it's okay. I mean, you're kind of achieving the same thing, but in a much less ridiculous way i mean in my mind the ones in the witness was like you'd listen to like a 15 second clip and the sound would change during it or there'd be like different noises and stuff during it and you'd have to kind of piece stuff together whereas here it's pretty much just like i mean the the sounds aren't totally different you know i'm not going to say i wasn't slightly confused between the the wind noise and the the kind of the earth rumbling noise being quite similar and that that point where you're on the um the door and you're actually inputting the uh the the sliders in for those sounds and yeah there's probably about 12 different noises and you have to for some weird reason they've made like four of the five that you actually need to set the sliders for like right at the very bottom of that <laughs> so you just you scroll through like all the other almost nonsensical sounds before you get to the correct ones and some of those other nonsensical ones are like so much more clear where there's like a train whistle and like a sort of a springy boing noise and stuff it's a lot more kind of (laughs) obvious than just like a a sort of a low rumbling um but i think if if you're going to do what they've done with this game you need to absolutely nail um nail those sounds down and i think for for the purposes of it they they have done an extremely good job and the the other one that's really interesting and maybe this is totally different uh, depending on who you are um, and like how you solve different types of puzzles is getting into that age in the first place using the the kind of the piano organ puzzle and then using the sliders to match the notes up maybe you know different levels of kind of musical ability and like tune recognition 
um i found that very very easy to to kind of just find the right tune and then i would kind of hum yeah. it to myself as i turned around and went went back to the other machine and i just just happened to get it get it spot on every time but i could imagine that being so difficult for for people who are less kind of in tune with with like all of the um you know the intricacies of that piano keyboard where there's yeah. what like 30 different noises to pick from and the yeah. the sliders you know go up and just go through them so quickly with like very very little input just trying to scroll it into the right position and you go too far and think oh crap well now i've i've kind of been totally thrown off by the noise of this slider here but i think for you know for how my brain interpreted those things i think the sound was kind of you know the the way they use the effects was pretty much spot on i always experiment by turning the sound off in in games and i think especially adventure games and rpgs because i think it's always a good a, a good testament to see whether whether your experience of the game changes and in mist for me probably more than the look of it is it's it's almost everything that creates the atmosphere. I mean, obviously there are puzzles which which are based on sound, and therefore sound is essential if you want to get through the game for those bits. But just generally, when you're wandering around the various ages and Central Mist Island, like yeah. without without the various sounds that you encounter as you go, the game just loses for me almost all of its atmosphere, and it. it it was obviously something which they thought was so important that they went out and got the external help of uh, Chris Brandkamp, who who did the sound effects. So I think the the Millers knew that nailing the sound in this was absolutely crucial. Now I can't speak to the most recent version, uh, and I know the sound effects have been re-recorded in almost every re-release that this game has had. Yeah. Um, but but it, it sounds like that that sense of importance for the sound has survived right through to the most modern release yeah and on that note i don't know how far back this goes but one of the the guides i was looking at when i was just trying to find little hints earlier was actually for the the 2020 version and they did mention as, as i was looking through it in various places where there are sound puzzles that one of the ways that you can you know in inverted commas cheat like the the piano puzzle is there is an option in the menus for um, displaying like context subtitles. So presumably mm. if you turn that on and your, your like sense of pitch isn't particularly good, you can press what you know is the right key on the piano and it will tell you oh, like, okay. Oh yeah, that's an F, you know, that's just an F or that's like a, an A sharp or something. And then yeah. you can go back to the slider and, and find it on there without actually having to hear it. So that's I mean good. I'm assuming that's an accessibility option more yeah. than anything else and I couldn't yeah. find subtitle options in the masterpiece edition because there were points where in the um some of the bits where you bring the pages back and you're hearing the guys talking and it's quite broken up with staticers and stuff yeah. there were bits where I I feel like I would have appreciated the subtitles and I couldn't it wasn't very obvious that there was an option for those but I think it's meant to be obscured, though, isn't it? The sound in those yeah. places, yeah. But yeah, the accessibility—it's good to know that they've brought that in. Mm-hmm. It's—it is worth noting that the first uh, CD-ROM game ever was a re-release of their first game, The Manhole, uh, which was, you know, a hypercard stack that was almost a stream of consciousness, like that Anigo gets out I mentioned earlier, but 
with a lot more stuff where they started collaborating where, you know, one of them would just draw the picture and then the other one put sort of have hot spots and they would kind of make up the stories that went along. So there's, there's progression in things to find, but you know, there's no victory condition or anything. Um, but they, they did a CD-ROM version that was essentially just adding a, a sound, a real soundtrack that you wouldn't be able to do on a floppy. So clearly from that, even from that point, they really saw their soundtrack is kind of a, a, a key part of, you know, the entire design. Uh, I will also note that it is the first CD-ROM, but not the first games on CD, thanks to many UK cassette games being released in compilations on CD in the late 80s of just, <laughs> here's 100 cassette games. <laughs> Go to town. <laughs> so uh, in addition to uh, sound, we've touched a little bit on the music. I think uh, something that struck me as having said that each sort of different area of the uh, the main Mist Island and each sort of of the of the different ages that you go to have their own sound a big part of that for me actually was the music and this game was initially intended to have no music they did not want music to distract from the game and it was only during the the making of the game they realized that actually the music is feeding into the mood of this place and like i said there's there's times i was walking down a, a corridor or down to a cave and I would feel uneasy. Some of that was sound effects, some of that was the music that was playing. And so the soundtrack was brought in to add that mood. Uh, Robin Miller did the entire soundtrack, 40 minutes worth of music, all created on an EMU uh, Proteus MPS synthesizer over the course of two weeks worth of evenings. I don't even know how that's possible. I'm not no, terribly musically incredible. adept. Um, and... Initially, so they realized this soundtrack was going to be something special. People really responded to this music. So they started selling it as a mail order uh, release until it was picked up by Virgin Records in 1998. So five years after release nearly um, and released as a full CD soundtrack album. Um, yeah, open floor for thoughts on, on music. Yeah, I, it, it it adds massively to the game. And I think it wasn't it I read somewhere that it was at the request of the publisher, maybe, I don't know whether it was Sunsoft or Brodable, yeah. but somebody at some point said to them, oh, guys, you could do with some music here. And at first it was a case, no, oh, this doesn't need music. And then, no, maybe it, maybe it could use some music. The fact that it kind of came out of a conversation like that is incredible in itself, but it, it adds massively to the atmosphere. I think... I think I could live without the music. I couldn't live without the sound with this game. I could live without the music, but it it, it most definitely adds to the atmosphere. And what I yeah. particularly like is how each of the brothers has their own theme. You know, when you get into the bedrooms yeah. and it just changes slightly between from from brother to brother, which is really neat. Uh, it, yeah, it, it it definitely helps create that sense of or oh, something's a bit weird here. Yeah, I think I mean as a the way that I play games like I started this off and obviously the the thing that's very open to you at the beginning is the library and you quite quickly realize that you can read the books and um there's a reasonable amount written about the the different characters like adventures through the the four different worlds that you go to yeah. and the way that all of the worlds are described in those those like journals feels so much more kind of alive and vibrant and and you know they i think apart from maybe one of them they all mention other people and other events that are going on in those worlds um 
And to the point where, you know, what I very quickly realized after reading the book about Channel Wood and they're talking about the fact that there were other, at least one other human there at some point and that there was another race of, of kind of what sound like more kind of monkey-like um, humanoids and yep. they had a culture and they had, um, they had language and they had all sorts of, um, all sorts of things that the, the characters interacted with going into the, the worlds afterwards and finding them devoid of characters and devoid of anything else that's kind of moving in a lot of ways kind of felt very, very sort of dead and, and lonely. And I think if there hadn't have been any music at all, throughout the game that would have really added to that sense and it would have felt so different like it would feel like you're kind of a ghost exploring this completely empty world a little bit like um how something like everybody's gone to the rapture plays out although ironically you know that game is also entirely built around its incredible soundtrack and the incredible atmosphere but i think you know that is the point for me is that if there was zero music at all and just sort of sound effects which would have ended up just being things like you know, sort of water bobbing and, you know, wind rustling through leaves and stuff, it would really have that that kind of empty, empty sort of ghostly, lonely feel to it. And the the fact that in various points you kind of climb a flight of stairs and a little little bit of musical sting and stuff starts playing made it yeah. feel like a world that I actually wanted to be in rather than somewhere that, you know, you feel like you might be trespassing on or, you know, you, you shouldn't be there. Yeah, it's not overused, which is nice. Yeah. I mean, it is just sparing, you know, and it comes in almost unexpected, like John said then. You know, you might just get to the top of a flight of stairs and all of a sudden you get like a little musical sting that might last sort of 25, 30 seconds. But it's just enough just to create a sense of atmosphere and then it goes again and you're left with the sounds and the you know the loneliness. Uh, but it does, it does like a nice, when it does come on, besides the spooky tracks, feels like it's about, oh, okay. You know, this is not a completely in, inhospitable world. Yeah, you can relax a little bit. You can enjoy looking at the, you know, the beautiful sights that we've created while listening to a piece of slightly soothing music rather than, yeah, you feel like you're the last human in the world and everything's yeah. kind of long dead and gone and destroyed. Yeah, I think it I think it was Broderbund and it makes complete sense because that kind of sweetening of, of someone's concept was very, uh, you know, they were the ones who told Will Wright he had to put some scenarios into SimCity so it'd at least be a little bit of a game. Uh, and, you, you know, made Carmen Sandiego uh, come with the, you know, the encyclopedia. They they had an interesting main sense of the mainstream. Um, uh, told Jordan Mechner, Prince Persia, had to have some fighting in it. Uh, but... I think there's a creative tension. I see why the Millers would have wanted to keep music out for that reason, because yeah. there is the weird thing that the, the conclusion I've kind of come to about this game in terms of the puzzles and design is it is kind of a extremely well-designed early eighties Infocom game. Uh, <laughs> if Infocom yeah. had survived and we're almost doing a Zork throwback and the Millers weren't really game players, you know, they, their previous, no software is very toy-like um and uh your cosmic osmo is great because you just wander around and then spolunks kind of tries to have mini games and kind of falls flat and i think it, it right i think rotorbund had a good record as kind of an editor that that would push things in the direction of accessibility without overdoing it or or pissing off their artists um and and i suspect the 
the amount of music has a lot to do with sort of a, a, a worthwhile creative tension uh, between them. And yeah, I think yeah. the sound effects are, you know, once I figured out uh, how the sounds were working in the pipe puzzle where you could follow the mm -hmm. water, like that yeah, yeah. was incredible. And that is one of the most satisfying parts of the game. And I think a thing that, again, makes this game so polarizing is that I could see the fact that the puzzles make a certain amount of practical and logistical sense, but not quite really being either an uncanny valley issue for some people or, you know, but they are, there's something very satisfying about those pipe puzzles being like, oh, this is a a construction that makes sense. Of course, some of these pipes go to dead ends for no reason and whatever, but um, yeah, it, 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 that level of, of attempting to do something kind of naturalistic. And, and again, because they're working in a hybrid card, really looking at like trying to use every part of the game, uh, every part of the media as, as some sort of game design uh, is I think one of the real strengths of the game. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Um, now I think it's probably a good point in the podcast to say that I lent heavily in terms of putting together show notes for this on the history and the importance of this game. Um, and what that means is, just time-wise, we are not going to have masses of time to go into all the puzzles through the game. And that probably, I think, is fair to say, serves us well, because as much as I do want to get into some of the story now, um, if someone's listening along to this and has got a sense of the importance of this game, it actually might be quite nice not necessarily to either rehash puzzles that people have played, that once you've played them once, you know what the puzzle is, or to spoil puzzles for anyone who hasn't actually played it. So in terms of uh, mechanics, I think we have discussed movement quite a bit. In terms of puzzles, what I'd like to do is we've got a couple of pieces of feedback, and then what I'd like to get into is just if there are any puzzle highlights that we think really uh, says something about how we feel about the game overall, whether that's positive or negative, somewhere we got stuck, or somewhere we had a really nice sort of uh, revelation. Um, so... To set us up into that, a couple of comments about the puzzles, giving a couple of different perspectives of how people kind of came to the puzzles in this game. Um, our first piece of feedback here is from the Penske File, who um, on Patreon every week we request that any of our Patreon supporters give us uh, their feedback on the game. And the Penske File did. So they say, One of my main memories of the video game Myst is that it was the only video game my father ever played. We collaborated, trying to solve the annoyingly challenging puzzles. Eventually, I secretly bought the game's strategy guide and read it cover to cover, memorizing solutions. When I suddenly knew the answer to an especially tough puzzle, my father was curious about my sudden insight. I confessed to using the guide, and I'll always remember his look and the loud sigh of intense disappointment. It's a memory that makes me laugh, and I'm still the type to use a guide if I get stuck. If not for me, he'd still be fumbling through that music note minecart puzzle. Um, and following on from that, Muba on the forum says, One summer holiday at the end uh, uh, uni in the mid-90s, I borrowed a copy of Mist from the local Apple users group. New Year's Eve, finding myself all by my lonesome, I decided to fire it up at about 9pm. At 10pm on New Year's Day, I blearily completed it, and that remains the most intense single-sitting gaming session I've ever done. I still have all the notes scribbled down while puzzling my way through the game. I can see telltale signs of sleep deprivation in the increasingly erratic map, maps and scrolls. Uh, just to interject here, yeah. 
an intense single sitting gaming session is 25 hours through New Year of sitting playing this game. I can't even imagine. Um, so Muba goes on to say, Myst was one of the first personal computer games I played after my foundational C64 days, and it's fair to say that I'd never played anything like it. The multimedia snippets sprinkled over the richly rendered worlds created a sense of place unlike any other. The sound generated tension throughout, but nearly 30 years later, it's not something I want to revisit. There's no way that the game could possibly live up to my memories of it, and some of the puzzles felt obtuse even then. So, in terms of uh, puzzles, are there particular puzzles that we want to talk about? Um, Particular sort of aspects that we think really are emblematic of here's what this game kind of did for me uh i guess we'll go to uh jesse do you want to uh, go first yeah there's individual puzzles but i think there's a broader point just about uh, again like the delicacy of puzzles and and mm. someone said earlier how much one reason this reminds me of i'm sorry i'm trying to sort of get my thoughts in a, a row about this, but a game this weirdly reminds me of, and as I said, early 80s Infocom games is Planetfall, which is a mm. desolate, abandoned, you know, uh, facility on a planet, and you're exploring, and it's it all kind of makes sense, uh, and it is a very well-designed uh, walking simulator puzzle game in a way, but, but because it all makes sense, it has a tremendous number of red herrings, uh, sort of unintentionally even, of just like, there's a lot of rooms that are there because, of course, they would be there. And I don't think that's the, the reason this game has this issue. But um, there are, if you don't know what matters it is very easy to just completely bounce off it because it is so deadpan. And I think that that's the overarching issue. And that's why I would encourage anyone who did bounce off it. Like I did to, you know, use a a vague walkthrough because I really do think that once you start clicking in with its aesthetic and its way of thinking, there's individual puzzles you might get stuck on, but you, and, and uh, an example, this would just be, it doesn't tutorialize that there are going to be any real-time elements, for instance. That is something yeah. you would do today, right? You would have a very easy version of a, oh, yeah, something will have timing to it. Um, and whereas you just might not think that that could be a factor in a game like this. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where broadly, and again, the, the kind of weird authority of the game because it was such a huge hit and such a again, like Deadline and Zork written about in the New York Times, sort of like this is a game for real thinking people, etc. I think that that it, the problem with this game is less an individual puzzle than a fight or flight reaction people have to it. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of individual puzzles, sure, I think I, I very much liked the, the water uh, pipes in, in um whatever wood channel would because it, it it made sense it was logical kind of said you know it did all the things you want a puzzle to do yeah. um whereas i did like the minecarts fine although i did have to get the hint that the sounds mattered which should yeah. have occurred to me but just didn't uh but as i said if you're you know just sort of chilling in there it's 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 fun to try to map that out uh and then give up um <laughs> I yeah I, I'd like to yeah what other puzzles what specific puzzles 
that people have engagement with. Uh, yeah, Chris, did you want to uh, let us know? Yeah, I mean, the, the mine, you got, we've got to mention the minecart, and we know Jesse yeah, already has, but that that is one of the most infamous sections of the game. I actually didn't realise that those sounds link yeah. back to... Uh-huh. And this is where I think the game... I think generally its puzzle design is really good, and it's really contained, and everything that you need is generally available to you in the immediate vicinity. Yeah. But in, in that puzzle, you, the solution or, or an aid to the solution of the minecart maze is found in the mechanical age, mm-hmm. which you may have not even been to yet because you can access these ages in any order. So you may not yeah. have even been there. Or if yeah. you're like me, that the, the, the age, the... Is it, what's it called? The Selenetic? Selenetic, yeah. 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 So the Selenetic Age was the final one I did, and the Mechanical Age yeah. was the first one. So I would completely didn't make the link between those sounds yeah. and, and the maze. So I actually did map the minecart maze, and it can be done, and I did it without a hint. And I, I wrote down all my directions, and I actually did the damn thing three times because, obviously, you have to go twice to get the pages because you can't carry two pages at once which is wonderful um but and that's the only <laughs> time it really bites you that you can't yeah the selenetic age is particularly punishing in that one because you do have to do the, the whole thing again whereas the mechanical mm-hmm. one i think you just you can run it's back in easy. go to the bedroom and then everything's all solved so you just run straight to the exit yeah yeah um, and the but same with the ten- stone ship one it's like just run in grab the page and go to the exit again but yeah, the Selenetic yeah. one having the the ending page or book actually hidden at the end of the puzzle yeah. rather than just there in the open like most yeah. of the other ones makes it more tricky. But in terms of a puzzle that made me feel really smart, so in the Stone Ship Age, there's that puzzle with the with the yeah the chest at the bottom of the uh, yeah, of yeah. the bottom of the the tower, the, the lighthouse, um, yeah. Yeah, at the lighthouse, and you can you it's full of water when you don't realize that. But there's a little tap, a little valve on the side of the chest that you can open to let the water out which makes the thing able to float so then when you fill up when you use the panel that jesse mentioned earlier to fill up the lighthouse with water the thing then rises to the top there's a key on a chain at the top and then you can use that key to unlock it and it gives you another key i think to to unlock a a door that 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 was one that made me feel like i was a genius Uh, Mm -hmm. and the only times i really got stuck was not on puzzles it was more in just failing to spot hidden doors. Yeah. So there's yeah. one there's one yeah. particularly there in the Stone Ship Age, the, the the doors that you need to get to to get to the the thing that switches the undersea light on. Yeah. I just couldn't find it. And in the end I had to look up a hint to see and I think one of the in game hints said, you know, there is a, in the end it just told me it said there is a hidden door in that passage and then I I found it. And that was really frustrating because I thought I can solve the puzzles. I don't need help there. Really, I, those kind of things, I shouldn't be failing to find a hidden door after 20 minutes of looking. Yeah. It's a bit of a shame. Yeah, I agree. I had yeah. very similar things, just just not quite realising how... I mean, I don't know how many people actually played through the, the rhyme age at the end of it, but there's an extremely obvious thing where you go up in an elevator and nothing immediately seems to happen at the top of the elevator but you realize that there's a a button that's appeared round the side of the elevator that you then press and it spins it round and it's just quite subtle and it 
it I had to end up looking it up to figure out where exactly I was going because they do still have the mm. the other thing at the top of that elevator. They do still have two things that you can pull and you can play with and you see like the lightning and stuff changing. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, am I supposed to be doing this? But that lever doesn't seem to do what it's supposed to do anymore. Yeah. And it's just, oh, no, you just missed a, a little red button that you should have seen, really. So, uh, yeah, kind of the same. Like, some of the actual puzzles in this, particularly, I think, all of the sound ones, I breezed through the entirety of Channelwood and somehow managed to breeze through, like, all of the, the Selenetic era because I found all of the sound stuff to be quite intuitive to, obviously, the way that my brain processes things. Um, but, the yeah, the idea of just missing very, very small things and finding that way more frustrating when when you realize that you've actually solved the what would be considered to be the proper puzzles the difficult puzzles without too much yeah. trouble like you go from feeling very very smart to being like oh did i really just not notice this little thing yeah it's so annoying after solving the puzzles mm. that you just you that that's the kind of thing that slows you down yeah yeah no and in vr that that door was at least as hard to find i i had to not just look up like a nudge but uh, you know, watch a YouTube video in the browser on the quest while pausing it. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> uh but yeah, I think for the most part there is I forget what they're called, but there's those oddly satisfying videos or something like that. Right. I think the best puzzle where, you know, a ball bearings fall into the thing they're supposed to fall into. Those little yeah. like Facebook videos for pleasant old people. Um and I think the best parts of Myst really do capture that in a way that very few puzzle games, ex with Planetfall being one of the exceptions I can think of, did where it's it's, it's not just clever and it's not just uh, elegant, but it is in some way load-bearing, or at least, you know, faints towards some sort of actual purpose in the world. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think the Millers clearly just had kind of a good they they enjoy engineering they they feel they're a little bit like we covered the fool's errand and the guy who made that game whose name i am now forgetting but did puppet shows and made you know models for mini golf courses and did uh, industrial films and stuff like that and i think they have the same kind of ultimately these are multimedia people uh and and like uh, that guy, Cliff Johnson, uh, you know, they tested out Mist as a paper and pencil, almost RPG version. And yeah. the fact that maybe the puzzles hold up better than that, just sort of stuff you have to notice has something to do with, you know, they did, they did play test it. Um, but more in almost a conversational, you know, like party game kind of way. Uh, so in terms of uh, uh story we have some feedback that i thought would be particularly useful to uh to hear from pecan pie on the forum my memories of mist are it being one of those ubiquitous pc games that everyone had but no one could get very far probably because everyone i knew was 10 years old the whole game had a mystique as and as we couldn't get very far into the game we would ponder at the box art why is there a rocket ship on this island who is that falling through the sky what is the point of this game as a 10-year-old, it felt more adult and cerebral than other games we were playing, but the world was immersive and beautiful, so we kept loading it up to experience it, and maybe if we kept wandering around, we could crack one of those codes and see something else. The furthest we got was to the part with the elevated wooden plank trails. It's one of those games where, in my mind, it's a fully 3D world, so it was funny to load up a YouTube playthrough and see how static it was. 
I think the art style still holds up pretty well though and still evokes a mysterious sense of place. I'm excited to hear more about this game as I have never revisited it and still have no idea what it is about or why that rocket is there. Um, we, In all honesty, in terms of story in this game, I was going to apologise for not covering much of it, but, I mean, you can kind of sum it up to say the reason the world's quiet is a, all of the characters you're going to encounter in this game through the vast majority of it are trapped in books. And your role is to choose who to free from the book they're trapped in and try not to get yourself trapped in there. All of the the uh, lore around that comes from reading the books in the library pretty much. Um, and then through Real Mist, some of the extra lore around stuff that came up in the books, stuff that has subsequently now come up in the sequels, has all been kind of built on in other games, as far as I can tell. Um, so I don't actually think there's a need, for the sake of my head with Jed's, Jay's editing scissors, um, to, to go into much of the story. Um, I think we've kind of covered a lot of the different areas. So you've got the Channelwood Age, Mechanical Age, Stoneship Age, and Selenetic Age. Each of those is much more about exploring a, a, a world and a place and getting a sense of what the place was, because you're just not seeing it in action at all. Um, so, uh, with that in mind, I think what I'm going to suggest is we skip on. There's still some stuff about legacy of this game that I want to cover, and then obviously our summaries. Uh, in terms of legacy, this game, its success, and I think part of the reason why it, there aren't that many games that try to copy it that get mentioned is that it spawned its own sequels and it filled that gap between its own re-releases and new versions and its sequels uh, all the way through to when walking simulators sort of started to arise. So we have uh, Riven, the sequel to Mist, that's literally the title, uh, released in 1997 um, on five CD-ROMs. I'm just going to leave that there and say no more. Um, <laughs> Mist 3 Exile 2001, actually not developed by Cyan. Um, Uru, Ages Beyond Mist uh, in 2003 was a kind of attempt at leading into an MMO that ended up being abandoned but then re-released and now is kind of fan supported but also wait, wait. Cyan kind of People are going to yell at us it's pronounced <laughs> U-R-U because you are you, know, you are you oh wow it's an it's uh like i, I am before, me. yeah you're right you, you well, go I've into been, the game i've been pronouncing it wrong for 20 years uh, there, yeah there we go I think not just me Th thank you <laughs> yeah no i think that did and in fact maybe the people who actually play it now just call it uru too but right it was a thing we never mentioned about mist is like those early mm. infocom games you're just yeah. kind of an anonymous every person Right. That's yeah. that is You're, and, and yeah, there's again absolutely. this this kind of lovely throwbacky feel of that of of this is you know, we covered Trinity as well, which was oddly, you know, from eighty six in kind of a a late period Infocom game where they tried to make kind of a more ambitious version of the old treasure hunt. The yeah. old puzzle treasure hunt. And yeah, yeah, yeah. People could see this in that, yeah, as being uh, another delicate kind of fantastically aesthetic game uh, in in figuring out a way to contextualize a puzzle hunt in a dead world and make it feel magical instead yeah. of, you know, rote. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so we have Mist 4 Revelation 2004. Um, Ubisoft took control of that one. 
Um, and then Mist 5, End of Ages 2005. A cyan back on the, the Mist train there. Um, I mentioned Spiritual Successor, also made by Cyan, Abduction in 2016. Uh, some people may remember that. Very very Mist-like uh, in terms of the, the gameplay style. Um, inspired by Mist, we've talked about walking sim genres. For me, Dear Esther is kind of the one I point to. It's literally set on an island. If you take the books and the other islands, other ages out of it, it's like same thing basically that's really reductive but that's how i feel about it so um we've also mentioned the witness extensively the talos principle rhyme i i've not heard anyone say that rhyme was related to mist but literally the rhyme age is in mist that can't be a coincidence i thought i'd mention it yeah i, um, I haven't played rhyme properly but i know it is an adventure game that's kind of yeah cute and it is. cartoony and it was on game pass for a while and i shamefully missed playing it while i had the opportunity yeah um but yeah it's, it's seeing game. yeah yeah seeing it earlier seeing the rhyme age in the game earlier immediately made me think is that related are they yeah. is it it's not a common word as far as i'm aware so no no it, it feels like it must be uh yeah it has a uh, yeah. a delicate whimsical aesthetic in that scene. I was I was still going through that uh, aesthetic for a commercial. There really Mist has its own unique aesthetic because at least they don't have you know. There's a little bit of Tim Burton whimsy gothic, but that's not really it. There's as I said, utopian scholastic, but uh, yeah, Mist is kind of its own own aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. Call of the Sea is the other one I throw in there, James, as well as one oh, that yeah, 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 yeah. I, I played a couple of years ago, and that really did remind me of Mist. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's fair to say that you can throw a stone and you'll hit five games that pr- probably have something to owe to Mist. It really is that influential. And reading kind of through this, Matt Damon wanted the Born Conspiracy video game to be more like Mist and refused to be part of the game because they wanted to make it a shooter. It, that's the level of influence we're talking. That's just weird, but that's the level of kind of impact that it had. I hadn't really made this connection, but it seems obvious. Like escape rooms, most people who made yep, escape absolutely. rooms at first yeah, yeah, must have yeah. been humongous Mist fans because it's not yeah. just the puzzles, but the pleasure is the like lay of the land. Like if you don't enjoy yeah. the part where you're just kind of wandering around and kind of figuring out, well, what is this room about in kind of a story level, but also absolutely. filing things in your yeah, head yeah. for like that's got a number on it. Maybe that'll mean something, but you're not quite at that point yet. And and I do wonder how much the sequels are kind of about that and how much influence they have on escape rooms since they sort of overlap. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a really good shout. Uh, yeah, the the Millers have been asked about escape rooms and whether they've done them and that kind of thing because I think people drew similar kind of uh, comparisons. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we've heard plenty of feedback. So before we get to our summaries... Um, We've got some three-word reviews. On the day of recording, uh, as is always the case, uh, we put out on uh, the Cane Rinse Twitter, still saying it, uh, account, we put out a call for uh, your reviews of the game in three words. No more, no less. And we have three of them. So I wonder, Chris, if you could read out our first, please. Yeah, close to home. Emma Quilfeld says, I'm a genius. Ashton Herman says, need a guide. And Thomas Quilfeld says, 90s kid baffler. Perfect. Um, in terms of summaries, I think I can kick us off quite uh, succinctly. I chose this game because I wanted to see 
where are the comparisons to some games that I really, really enjoyed and spoke to me deeply came from. Um, this game wasn't without its frustrations, uh, but overall, I can absolutely say that I draw a line straight between Mist and some of the walking simulators that I absolutely adore 20, 25, now 30 years later. And it has been fascinating to be able to dive into different versions of this game see different interpretations by the same people of what this game is and was and be able to kind of find my preferred style of mist almost is i don't get to say that with many games like tetris maybe is something i could say that with but almost not really because it doesn't vary as much in some ways as as mist does um yeah i'm i'm so uh, delighted to be able to play this and uh, it sounds like uh, the rest of us have all got plenty out of uh, playing through this again as well. Um, so I will hand over to uh, Jesse, you, for a, uh, a summary, if you would. Well, I've totally had a long spiritual journey with this game. Um, and mm. uh, I am glad to, yeah, come out the other end really appreciating it and, and now more curious about about trying Riven and Abduction and other games that it, yeah. I think... Again, it was really the aesthetic and the vibe, and especially just playing it in VR and being. And I will mention the mini golf course again because yeah. it's just a it it it's a lovely place to hang out, and it as I said just has has an aesthetic that is very early '90s in a way that I I am nostalgic for, but isn't uh, doesn't fall into any neat category, um, mm. and. I think that now that I appreciate, as I, I think the puzzle design has its good points and bad points, but I do think mm-hmm. there is a, you know, I played the seventh guest and that was much more my framework of like, these are puzzles. They don't have to make sense. This is basically Professor Layton sort of thing, right? Yeah. But the yeah. the puzzle game that's about here's a machine or here's a world, how does it work? Yeah. Right? How does this function? And the elements this has of that, I think... Uh, become more and more interesting to me as as time goes on. And yeah, I think, uh, and puzzles are just hard. Uh, The last thing I'll mention is in my intro to game design class, when we do a section on puzzles, we play a game called Eleusis, uh, or Eleusis Express is the version we play, which is a regular deck with cards, and someone makes up a secret rule, and you have a starter card, and then every other person just puts down a card, and the person tells them if they've broken the rule, in which case they have to discard it, or they've obeyed the rule. And every single time, the person thinks the rule they made is very simple and easy, and no one's able to get it. And then the next person who has been frustrated by their rule makes a rule that they're like, okay, I'm going to make one that people can actually get. And then no one gets it. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, there's just this essential yeah. asymmetry. There's, you know, uh, there's a famous psych experiment where one person taps out uh, various popular songs and the other person is trying to guess them. And the person who taps them thinks the other person gets on average 8 out of 20 and the other person gets on average 0.3. Because the person who's doing the tapping just can't kind of not hear the melody. And if, if Mist has kind of a fault, it is that it doesn't nudge you enough in the right directions and everything seems incredibly important and you're just intimidated by the amount of noise when in fact the puzzles are fairly logical and again once you're kind of keyed into the way it's thinking uh they're they're 
not nearly as as uh, onerous as some of the even good later Infocom ones, like in Spellbreaker, which is essentially Zork Six, where you know for expert players. Uh, and yeah, anyone who has not played it for whatever reason, I I recommend it. And anyone who has not uh, played the Walkabout Mini Golf Course, uh, you should go meet Larry. He's very nice. <laughs> the third brother. The third. Didn't even brother. know you existed. <laughs> he keeps quiet. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, Chris, how about you? How, how do you feel about Mist? Yes, well, I was quite nervous going back to Mist, even though I've played it a mm. few times over the years. I always think about the hype and the hyperbole when I think of Mist, which is a real shame because once you, as Jesse said a couple of times, once you, once you get past that initial opening, and it does take you by surprise, especially if you go back to either the original or the Masterpiece Edition. It is very slow, and it doesn't ease you in gently. But if you can get over that initial hump and you start to learn the language it's trying to speak to you in, there is, it's, it's, a, it's a good game. I mean, it is, it, 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 it's not the greatest thing that's ever graced a computer or a console, and it's not an absolutely terrible thing that spelled the death knell for adventure games. It's a really solid puzzle game, which has a nice atmosphere. And I would say that if you like walking simulators or you like static puzzle games like the Room Trilogy, uh, or if you like doing escape rooms, or if you're looking for something that you want to play with your partner, maybe, who may be not a gamer, uh, or even, I would say, your children. Uh, who may be not into games, then this is the perfect game for you. It, it, it's it's a reasonably good game, in my opinion, that I think fans of puzzle games, if they haven't played it, I think will quite enjoy it. Excellent. Thank you. And to round us out, John? Yeah, uh, I think my feelings are going to be very similar. Like I didn't entirely know what to expect going into this. Like Mist has been one of those like absolutely ubiquitous games that I've always been... I feel like it's one of those things that I've kind of I've known about and I feel like if prodded I probably could say a lot of things but have never actually like fully played it and never never really experienced exactly what it is until until doing it for the podcast this week and you know also very notable like you know it's not live anymore unfortunately but there was a humble bundle two three weeks ago that included all of the different mist sequels and a bunch of mm. other similar games like abduction and um uh uiu spelunks uh something cosmic osmo um that i picked up basically to see the different versions of mist for the podcast and after playing through mist for i think about six hours in total over the last few days or week or so i feel really fired up i really want to see what these you know this same creative team of have done with these other games and having access to all of them now is very much like, well, I, I definitely want to see what they were doing in 2016 with abduction. I need to see the, the changes in the new version of mist. And I'd love to see the manhole that they apparently did before mist came out. Like it, it's just really like, I've always been one for first person games. I've always really enjoyed puzzle games, like to a kind of treading a fine line of being not necessarily easy enough but being being doable enough that makes you feel smart without you know just forcing you to run for a guide or making you feel really you know like the developers kind of thumb and then those at you a bit like how i felt with the witness like i think it's quite a fine line to tread and obviously the 
you know mileage is going to be very different for different people like different types of puzzles you may be good at or not so good at and you know different different kind of just levels of dealing with logic and stuff like but if there's anything that you know you enjoy about puzzle games that you've listened to us talking about this thinking yeah that kind of sounds cool like playing with a piano and figuring out the notes and then finding that note on a slider like the the different ways that you can get into mist now and the different versions of it it's so so like widespread across the different consoles and there's so many other very similar games even by the same team that you know if any part of you has listened to this and thought that sounds interesting i should check it out hopefully we haven't you know completely kind of blown the lid off all of the puzzles and stuff to to put you off but like absolutely go and give it a go because you know just as as a part of like gaming history and especially like pc history and stuff it's it's just an absolute like uh you know pillar of um like a pillar of the the art form basically um and it, it's kind of something that you know if you do have that interest in the history and things it's it's a real like you should try out mist you should at least see what it what the fuss is about and at the very least it's worth getting one of the versions that you can just kind of poddle around that little original island and and see how it looks and even if it's just for the nostalgia of seeing those like mid 90s like windows 95 screensaver graphics and stuff on it <laughs> like it's it's such a cool little little thing to check out so absolutely like unqualified recommendation from me to at least have a look at it if you're not already massively familiar i've really enjoyed playing through it for for the podcast and it's one of those that has really clicked with me and i'm so glad to have got there finally here here thank you very much well, that brings us to the end of this uh, issue. My thanks go to Chris, Jesse and John, our editor Jay, all of our correspondents and patrons, and of course, every single one of you for listening. Next time around, it's issue 583. You will find Ryan, Jesse, Sean and John spinning yarns on the back nine as they break out their sand wedge, proving that a good walk spoiled isn't always a subpar experience and other golfing terms. It's Golf Story. Birdie!